This is Romans part 39. Why bright, intelligent people still need renewed minds. The conviction around these two verses, we've been there for five or six weeks in kind of paused on Romans 12, 1 and 2. And and the conviction forming is that we worship God most and we worship God best by discerning the value of his will for our lives. That is not the way teachers and churches normally present the subject of the will of God. The normal way it gets presented is how to discover God's will, how to learn God's will, how to receive guidance. That's the way churches usually talk about God's will. And it's not the approach of this text. There are texts that do that, but it's not the approach of this text. The approach of this text is our minds need to be transformed not, not in terms of knowing God's will, but of placing proper value on it, of treasuring it and preferring it over any other options that are available on the table. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. The tool for doing that is the human mind, but not just any mind. 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The, the mind. the mind in its natural fallen state doesn't treasure the will of God. It treasures other things more than the will of God. And it takes a supernatural act of grace for the mind to be changed so that I don't just know what God's will is by description or information or Bible verse or sermon. But I think, that's precious. That is precious for my life. If you don't think that's a relevant topic, let me just... There are people right now, right this second in Cedarview, several couples, Christian couples, church couples... And we know behind the scenes, you wouldn't know up front, they're planning separation. Splitting. And I know, the thing is, you can sit with couples like that and, and you, can, you can do this. You can show them it says this. Oh, and it says this. What you're doing isn't right. I can show you. See, it says right here. These are people who know all the worship courses, sing all the songs. And, and the problem isn't that they don't know God's will. The problem is they don't have a mind that treasures it. There's a concept of freedom or a concept of whatever. And, and somehow that has taken the place of not knowing God's will, but a renewed mind that says God's will is always to be treasured above everything else. That's the issue. The key to all of this has to do with the human mind, but not just any human mind will do. Success in spiritual transformation, it is tied to the mind, but not the way a lot of people think. It has nothing to do with IQ. It has nothing to do with Bible knowledge. It has nothing to do with singing praise courses with your eyes closed and your hands raised. It's not that. It's tied to the way the mind fixes value and significance and importance 
to, to the hundreds of thousands of thoughts and ideas that float through the mind, your mind, my mind, every day. You can have thousands of ideas. That's good. You can't have thousands of treasures. That's disastrous. A renewed mind says, here's God's will. Whether I grasp it, understand it, this is what's best. This is what's best. Here's the principles I want to cover. One, you cannot disentangle your life from this world with external changes only. I think you can see it in the last part of that second verse. Do not be conformed to this world. So, so change is necessary. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern. There's the verb. Discern what the will of God is. What is, what is and, then, and then he goes on, instead of just period, discerning the will of God. That ought to be enough. But he makes it clear that he's not talking about just knowing God's will. Whence he says, determining Discerning the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's the transformation that is, that is needed. Do not be conformed to this world. That's the goal. That's the command. And then comes the means for obeying that command. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, here's the idea. Discerning the mind valuing, prizing. You, you really can't unconform your life to this world, the ideas, the patterns, the activities of this world. You really can't unconform your life from this world just by making external changes. There, there will be external changes to following Christ. That's why Paul says that my worship must change the way I use my physical body. Present your bodies. So, so my eyes and what they watch, my ears, what they listen to, my mouth, the things that it speaks and eats and drinks, sexual organs of the body, all these things are to be used only for the glory of God, only on his terms. So yes, there's no argument here tonight. The fact that my life must be externally unconformed to this world, my body must be conformed to God's will, that's true. But the change, the change doesn't begin externally in the body. It begins internally in the mind. Matthew 23, 26, Jesus speaks and he says, You blind Pharisees. Religious is all get out. First clean the inside of the cup and plate that the outside may also be clean. And you start to see real quickly the fundamental flaw of just moralisms. Good deeds don't clean the inside of the cup. I mean, they can certainly clean up a society a good deal. They can create law and order. But spiritually, external deeds only have value to the extent that they spring from a renewed mind that treasures the will of God above all. If you start with the outside rather than the inside, 
you'll never be able to make permanent changes in your spiritual condition. Sooner or later, you'll fall back into the same sins, or you'll merely exchange one form of external bondage for another more socially acceptable one. And that's because external changes alone never establish the lordship of Jesus in your heart. They're the fruit. They have to be the fruit. They're important, but they're not the root. Point number two. The inward renewal the mind requires is spiritual in nature, and it cannot be achieved nor sustained. This isn't the sermon. This is just a point. Cannot be achieved nor sustained through the acquisition of knowledge alone. So, the first point, the first point is that, that it can't just be an external change. It has to be a change of affection in the heart. This point is that, that it, it can't come just from knowledge alone. It's not just acquiring data. The renewal of the mind that Paul is describing is, is something deeper than correct knowing. Knowing is important, but it's not, it's not just correct knowing, it's correct valuing. The Bible gives a hint, just a little hint, about what this renewed mind is like. Even in, in the words of the psalmist, Psalm 34, 8, Taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What's that mean, taste and see? You can't take a bite out of him. Taste and see that the Lord is good means, means acquiring eyes to see, a mind to perceive that regardless of how circumstances seem to be shaping my life and my own instincts seem to be taking me in a certain direction, he's saying, no, 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 if you'll, if you'll just trust God, you'll see that there's goodness in his command towards you. That he's not out just trying to be tough and muscle you. He's trying to give you something that's wonderful and good if only you had eyes to see it. But you need a renewed mind. You can know something about what will be good for you by reading up on it and studying its nutrient content and its sugar content and its fat content. Fine enough. None of that tells you what this tastes like. Paul says the renewed mind, how can I put it? The renewed mind knows the, the, the flavor of God's will. It, another place, Paul says, it knows the fragrance of God's will. It knows the smell of things holy and things unholy. In another really interesting passage, Paul, Paul talks about the renewal of the mind, and he says, Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit, small s. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I like that phrase. I think Paul means the renewed mind has the capacity to taste the essence of things, the spirit of things. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It knows things by taste, by value. It would hear God speak and command me and know that it's not just a restriction of my freedom. It's the attempt of God to give me something wonderful that I don't see yet. Picture two people. Picture two people. Any two. One falls into sexual immorality. 
The other, though tempted, is faithful to his wife. Okay? Now, here's the obvious question. What's the difference between those two men? Let's say men this time. The tendency is to give a very trite, almost meaningless answer. Well, Pastor Don, one was a better Christian than the other. Well, it just doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't go nearly deep enough. In what sense was one the better Christian than the other? Why can some people smell the danger of temptation a long way off and see red flags that the other doesn't see at all? Is it just a matter of IQ? That can't be. Bright people fall into sin just as much as dull. The difference, the difference is found in the renewed mind. Some people have developed a taste for the pure and the holy. They've, they've learned to delight in the perfect will of God even if they can't see how it's going to work. They still treasure it. That's what Paul's describing in Romans 12 too. That they instantly, they instantly know when they're being pulled away from something good and excellent. They sense it. There, there's a spiritual awareness. They crave the sweetness of God's will more than they crave their own freedom at some given point. That's a renewed mind. They can tell when something's off, when something isn't right with God, the way you can tell when there's too much salt in the soup or the coffee in the mug has gone cold. A renewed mind tastes the things of God, values them as perfect. Three. Without a renewed mind, persistence in holiness will be tedious and at times even annoying. I'm almost, I'm well into it, but I was going to say almost done, but I don't want to make rash promises. Point number three. Without a renewed mind, persistence in holiness will be tedious and, I'm saying, at times annoying. Now look at the text. 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's been so good to you. Saved you, redeemed you, called you by name. Don't forget that, he's saying. When you hear my will, my call to you in some area that you're chafing against, rem remember my mercies to you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. This world has a way of solving problems that are not optional for you. This world has a way of solving problems that are not options for you. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, trust, try it, try it. You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think it's always good. It's always good for all of us to be really honest with ourselves at times and do a bit of a self-evaluation. Paul talks about test yourselves. Here's some good questions. Do you walk with Jesus because you've been raised to do that by your parents? That's very easy for someone like me because I've never been raised in any other way. I don't know of any other way. Do you walk with Jesus because, you, well, you want to go to heaven when you die instead of hell? Gee, there's a no-brainer. Who wouldn't? 
Do you walk with Jesus because that's what all your social network at the church expects of you? Or, and by the way, here's how easy my exams are. This is the correct answer. Do you walk with Jesus because you have come to the profound conviction that the will of God is the most perfect life you can ever have? Because only that will carry you in the Christian life. Many people go to church without really following Jesus except in the very barest sense. And the reason they don't is because they're in a situation in life right now where they look at the law of God as something out there in the distance or in the pages of their Bible or in the words of a sermon that is, that is, that is not going in the same direction that they're going and they chafe against it. They see it as being restrictive to their freedom. They see it as calling them to something they don't want to do. And every day, bright, intelligent, church-going people, people who have grown up and can quote Bible verses, form wrong opinions about the will of God. They don't embrace it. And it's all because they can't see the beauty of the will of God by examining it, examining it externally on the pages of their Bible. You can never correctly evaluate the will of God that way. You have to try it, taste it, enter into it. Don't prejudge it. Live it. Live it. If you accept the opinion of the world or your carnal friends of God's law, you're going to find yourself missing out how wonderful it is. And, and you know, the way, the way the internet and the soap operas and the movies depict sexual purity makes it look boring and confining. Hollywood makes the cultivation of inward beauty and purity seem secondary to a good life. The world's religions make Jesus look like just another pleasant option, a prophet with some good teaching. Is this where you're going to form your opinion about God's will? Are those your sources? If you do, you'll never enter into God's ways deeply enough or long enough to find the treasure that's, that's buried there. You have to walk in God's will to taste its sweetness. I see these stages I see these stages. There's a mind that refuses to walk in the will of God. That's in Ephesians 4.18. Is that in your notes? Okay. The mind that refuses, Ephesians 4.18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be... You know, if, if you're sitting here tonight in some area of life where you're just pressing into a zone where you know it's not right, here's what this text says. You're alienated from the life of God. I don't care what church you go to or how often you go or how much money you put in the plate. If you can just willfully say, I, I know God's will, I prefer this, you're alienated from the life of God. Don't count on anything spiritual in your future. Don't count on heaven either. You can't get there that way. So there's people that refuse to acknowledge the will of God. B, there's a mind that is in training to develop a taste for the ways of God. These are my life verses. Everybody should have life verses. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Make me to know your ways. 
not just a way, but your ways. Lead me, lead me in your truth. Teach me. There's the mind wanting to know. When it's persisted in, here's what happens. Here's the third stage. Psalm 19, 8, 9, and 10. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord, are you thinking on walking away from some of them? They're righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Much fine gold. Sweeter also than honeys and drippings from the honeycomb. No one lives on that plane all the time. I get it. But I believe God wants to increasingly renew our minds in that direction. Because he knows more than we will ever know what our lives are all about, how they will work, and about how his will is our greatest joy. So how does it happen? Is it truth alone that can remove the natural hardness of our hearts? I don't, I don't think it works that way. Two people can know the same chapters in their Bible. They can memorize the same verses and not live the same lives. Truths are important. I mean, I don't know of a church. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I don't know of a church that works harder than Cedarview. Not anywhere in the country. I don't know of a church that works harder than Cedarview Community Church does to get God's word into people's lives. That's what we do. We are a word-driven church. But if I read my Bible right, there's another call. There's another call that bubbles up over and over again that, that comes alongside a passion for God's Word. And it's Psalm 119, open, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes. So you hear a sermon like this. You read your Bible, whatever you're reading, studying, whatever group you're in. Hearing the truth, is not enough. Oh, God. Open my eyes. I need to see beauty in this more than I do. I need to treasure this more than I do. I've got other ideas that are, that are counterweights, pulling against your will for my life. Oh, God, open my eyes. Take away the blindness. Paul prayed about this. Ephesians 1, 16 to 18. He writes to this church, and he says... I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What do you pray for them, Paul? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. He's not talking about these eyes. There's these eyes. Those are two of them. And you have other eyes. They're here. And Paul says you can read your Bible with these eyes open and these eyes closed. And he says, I'm, I'm just praying that, that every time you hear about God's will in any area of your life, these eyes will be open to say, oh, that's, this is precious. This is what I need. This is what makes life work. Delighting in God is the greatest protection for the rest of your life. There it is. Point number four, and this is, now we are almost done. 
There is no possibility for God to be truly glorified until we, his people, follow him with renewed minds that delight supremely in his good and perfect will. Now we're in a position just to put all this together. This will be our last session on these two verses. Our minds must be radically renewed. It's not enough to know God's will. We have to treasure it. We won't walk in it until we treasure it. Pray that God opens the eyes of your heart. Now, when people see Christians with renewed minds worshiping God in daily life, here's what they will see. They look at me. They look at you. What will they see when they see these kinds of worshipers? Well, here's what they'll see. They'll see us making sacrifices. I appeal to you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What do we sacrifice? I mean, we don't come in here tonight and butcher sheep. We're not wringing the neck of a couple turtle doves. What do we sacrifice? Paul says, Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which my sins have been removed. No, that's not what he says by which the world, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I had a plan for my own future. Here's where I was going. But Christ is renewing my mind, and what he teaches me is that, that, that plan of mine that was contrary to his will, that's got to be put to death. I'll gladly make that sacrifice if I treasure Christ. As the mind is renewed by the Spirit of God, a whole new way of valuing God develops that puts to death the way I used to value my own free will, my own choices, my own agenda. That used to reign in my life. Not anymore, it doesn't. I treasure Christ. I put all of my own plans, you know what I did with them, Paul says? I, I, I put them to death. I don't live regulated by those things. See, the world's never going to be reached by our doctrinal statements. And it's not going to be reached by hard, grudging obedience with a long face. Yeah, come follow me with Jesus. There's a bunch of stuff we don't do because it's against our religion. But come, come, you'll, you'll really... That's never going to work. That's never going to work. And for sure, they'll never be reached by Christians who say they treasure Christ, but never turn from their own agendas for living. Here's what's true about you, and here's what's true about me. Your whole life, my whole life, is merely the outward glow of what I truly treasure. That's true of everyone in this room. Your whole outward life is only the glow of what you truly treasure. And the only godliness that shines is a joyful one that has tasted and seen that the Lord's way is good. It's acceptable. In fact, for you, it's perfect. And all self-crucifiers say, was very half-hearted. 